Well, it's a triumphant AC podcast record this morning as I'm joined by Vanuatu Cricket CEO and, of course, a man everyone here at the podcast knows extremely well. Tim Cutler could be the happiest man in international cricket, at least the happiest CEO in international cricket at the moment after Vanuatu's triumph at the ICC Women's T20 World Cup East Asia Pacific qualifier, upsetting PNG, going on to win the tournament undefeated. Uh, I'm just looking at you now, Tim, and unfortunately not everyone else around listening to this gets the same privilege, but there is a beaming smile from ear to ear on an early uh, morning in Port Villa. Talk us through basically how you're feeling at the moment in the wake of what was such a, a, a huge success for Vanuatu and not only to the team, but the VCA for holding a, a brilliant tournament. Yes, I am still kind of floating on cloud nine, Daniel, but... Uh... Well, first and foremost, I'm just happy that the tournament was decided on the field. I think when you're hosting something of this magnitude, and especially since we had such horrible weather leading up to the event, and for those that were able to watch any of the the stream of Vanuatu versus Japan and the T20Is early on, um, I think the only one that got streamed was the the 10 over reduced game. You could see it was very wet, very lucky to even get on then, and the fear was it was just going to keep raining and raining and raining when we'd never get on and it'd be a, a rankings tournament. But it was very similar to, to last year, as you will no doubt remember when we hosted the men's Pacific qualifier. And it did exactly the same thing. It was raining as everybody arrived and everyone sort of looking around thinking, you know, why are we here for this cricket tournament when we should be here playing underwater hockey? But then, as it did last year, the sun just suddenly came out a day before, two days before, dried everything. And by the time we started playing, everything looked beautiful because it had been raining for two weeks nonstop and everything was green and lush and, and great. And then I think we only had one game or at least sort of one time period where the covers were coming on periodically during during the games. Um, but even then, that, that game didn't lose more than half an hour, so we didn't have to consider reducing it. But yeah, from a, a Vanuatu result, I'm just so, so happy for the team and, and, and proud of them to see them come through how disjointed this year has been with, with cyclones and trying to get back on our, on our feet and everything happening with, with fruit picking in the background and, and everything that is well developing there probably now more into a, a positive story but um i'm just really happy to see how calm and collected the players were and i knew that the team always had this talent but it's how you apply it and especially when you're under pressure and to see us beat png in the way that we did in game one which you have to say was a comprehensive victory you wouldn't have known that the 34th ranked team in the world was playing against the 11th if you'd just turned up to to watch and the way that they maintained that during the tournament despite a little wobble against Indonesia with a couple of runouts and scrambling to 90 and a great batting by Alvina Chilia that day and then to just squeeze Indonesia out with the ball you know we didn't go for more than a, a hundred during the entire tournament um, but also to have two new coaches there that are just great human beings and treat the players as such and to see the players just get out there and be themselves in a, in a calm situation where they're um, coached well. I just think bodes really well for the future for us as we look to the global qualifier. I know that there's still so much left in the tank. It wasn't like the team overperformed. Um, you think, well, that's as good as you're, you're ever going to get. Our three or four best players, I think you could say, underperformed either from a you know conditioning point of view and could have been in a, a lot better sort of fitness state or just from a, a cricket application and skill application perspective as well. So I'm, I'm really excited. Yeah, looking at, at the team from top to bottom, Rachel Andrew was crowned uh, player of the tournament and the best batter leading the runs. And then we saw uh, young Vanessa Vera, who's only just come into the team, debuted in the build-up in the Japan bilateral series, uh, a warm-up series of such, to come in at 16 years old and be the leading wicket-taker at the tournament. Uh, it was an amazing achievement. And as you said, that win against PNG was, in the grand scheme of things, a quite comprehensive win against a team ranked so high above Fanuatu, keeping PNG to 89 for seven and then chasing it down with five wickets in hand and two and a half overs left. And doing it seemingly at ease, it's probably as comprehensive a victory you would expect or you would hope for when you play a team of PNG stature in this region. And PNG have had a monopoly of dominance in, in cricket in this region for a long time. And we've seen 
glimpses here. I know it's only one match that they that they lost in, but it's ultimately cost them a place at the global qualifier to your Vanuatu. And then I remember catching up with Josh Razu after that PNG game in the hotel, and I think he was probably the proudest person out of everyone, and that was probably including the players. The, the thing he he hammered home was the fact that he believed in them so much. The, his biggest goal was to just ensure that every single player in that team believed in themselves. Uh, and they went out to, to close out the tournament in pretty emphatic fashion. There were a couple of glimpses where, you know, maybe with the bat, they could have closed out a little bit better and, and put on a couple of higher scores. But the bowling overall was just so good and the work in the field was excellent as well. Selena Solomon ran the ran the team very well, you know, looking at it from, from my perspective. And then, yeah, there was just so many contributions. I think on the batting side too, I mean, Valenta Langiatu got off to a slow start at the tournament and then came through and made a couple of big scores and showed her capabilities. But even the likes of, of those who came in a little bit later down the order to play bigger roles, Alvina Chilia uh, in one particular innings impressed me. I think it might have been against, I think I want to say Indonesia. There's There were six games there, so th- there's a lot to sort of take in. But she was a player that, you know, was given a, a tough role in, in parts, batting in the middle order and looking to up the ante. And I think in that particular knock made it, 20 odd in about 15 deliveries and just picked up where everyone had left off and then yeah to take it back to the coaches we know Chris Laffin is there helping Josh Razu out Chris running the men's team and I think we're starting to see the building blocks on the men's team but this women's team Tim to know you've got a little bit of time now five or six months to build to a global qualifier we think the tournament's going to be in Sri Lanka we don't know for sure so I think a lot of prep maybe on that hybrid wicket might be the the order of, of the day in order to prepare for that global tournament. But what do you think the, the team needs to do from here, from now until that global qualifier early next year when they take on stronger sides and, and the regional victors and, and runners up in, in other regions as well? I think you're definitely right about working on the hybrid wicket. But fortunately or, or unfortunately, I think we're, we're going to see the majority of that team actually going to Australia for seasonal work for the next few months. But it's actually going to be a blessing in disguise because it's going to be in partnership with iComply, who are the same company that have Patrick, Andrew, Narlan, Apo and Obed, Yosef there from the, from the men's seat team where they're actually going to be playing district cricket in Queensland on turf pitches and training on turf pitches this entire time whilst under the virtual tutelage of Josh and Chris and also coming together to play games during that time as well. So I think that was something I really noticed the difference between the Vanuatu team that played against the Australian Indigenous side on on the hybrid versus playing on a synthetic wicket. You can you know, the, the wicket makes the pace for it a lot easier than it will on a on a turf wicket. So whether it's Sri Lanka, Dubai, well, I guess it could be Abu Dhabi as well, or, or Zimbabwe, you know, we look back and see how many ICC global qualifiers have been in, in Zimbabwe in the last five years. You know, I think there's also a really good chance of it going to them as well, that it's going to be a matter of the batters just developing their technique, especially against spin, because I think we saw... In that Indonesia game that you were right where Alvina batted so well. Um, also not to forget how well she batted with with Selena in the game against PNG as well, because we all know Alvina is this big hitting, you know, almost a slogger somewhere, somewhere between a big hitter and a slogger and come came out and played a really mature knock. It's gonna be really important that the players learn how to play spin because if I'm watching our team bat, I'm thinking bowl spin, bowl spin, bowl spin, because the players are so good when the when the ball's coming coming onto them. So I think there's a few little things to work on as well around fielding and running between wickets too that I think we got better at during the tournament, as always seems to be the way in events like this. You see the teams that don't get to play so much cricket together pull it together by the end of the event, and I was really happy to see Cook Islands win their first T20 international on the women's side in their last game, you know, they made their debut in this series just as the men did in theirs last year. And you could see all the sort of kinks get ironed out towards the back end of the event. Um, whereas for the likes of PNG, um, they play so much cricket together that they should be able to click straight in. But in saying that, I think the, the game that Vanuatu got PNG, it was almost like PNG needed a little time to get into it. You know, it was a very un Tanya rumour knock when. 
Chig, I think it was 28 or 45 or thereabouts against Vanuatu. But I think that was also because Vanuatu bowled really well and had plans. And you mentioned the way that Selena captain, captained. And to see you know consistent bowling changes very few times where a bowler would bowl more than two overs. I think Vanessa Vera bowled two overs straight up most games. But apart from that, bowlers were bowling single over spells, which I think just is reflective of the, the coaching and the and the captaincy of them having really clear plans throughout because sometimes if you're not on your plans and a bowler bowls too many overs and a, and a batter gets into a into a pattern with them and gets gets and lines them up but we, we didn't see that from Vanuatu so I think the time that they'll actually get to spend together it sounds a bit, a bit weird and as we've talked about in the past I know it's been a little while you know seasonal work for the Pacific Islands and especially Vanuatu it's such a great earning opportunity for, for people that it's it's something that you can't really fight against especially not with the amount of money that we have to play with so it's how we can work with it we're just so lucky to have found a partner in Rod Prestia who was actually at the the tournament in I compliant that he is looking at this as a chance to not only get great workers because he knows well in his perspective sports people are some of his best workers but for him to actually look at this as a a chance for them to get better as cricketers at the same time as their earning potential to be able to earn money enough money to build a house when they come home in nine months time but they'll actually be getting fitter playing better cricket and working together as a team than they probably would have been here because you know our men are all full-time professionals but our, our women are not we only had the four of them on contracts and also doubling as social impact ambassadors so now basically we're almost going to have nine professional cricketers potentially in <laughs> in Australia that are yeah. going, to be, going to be doing other other work to get them fitter and they're going to have them in a new situation working in teams etc and also training and getting stronger and playing on the weekends and then come together in the time before the global qualifier wherever that is so again it's something that's never been done before so I can't say that we know it's going to win or know where going to win or I know it's going to work but I think that as opposed to us finding money or using the money that comes to us now for making the global qualifier to, to pull them all together and and have them for that time we wouldn't have been able to have as much money as what's going to be feeding through them into their families for the next five to eight months and then also the time afterwards and if we didn't have this partnership so it's going to be an interesting next six to eight months bearing in mind that the men have their challenge league playoff in Malaysia in February March as well I just really hope that the two events don't run into each other because like a lot of associates there are people that have tasks across both sides um, and probably no more so than Josh Razu that you know, for his first coaching job and just how great he's been and as you were saying about how he approached sort of his attitude to to the team I, I think he's just found it he's found his niche and don't get me wrong he's a great cricketer um, but when we get to the stage of him thinking about life after cricket um, or even now life during cricket I think he's he's found something he's, he's really really good at but I just hope we don't have to be making choices between Josh coaching the women or Josh playing in Malaysia there was not only in time in, in terms of him sort of imparting the the same mindset I always also think that he was actually just the best person to to have for someone like Vanessa Vera in bowling the first overs in the power play a, a similar bowler and for Vanessa to have Josh there as your coach, I think it just set Vanuatu on the straight and narrow at the start of every bowling innings. And yeah, it was an observation that we made in comms where bowlers, yeah, outside of Vera bowling, maybe two up front in the power play. A lot of the bowlers came in and bowled one over spells and then Andrew and Selena Solman took it uh, upon themselves to bowl at the death as well. Looking, yeah, and that's a great point that you make up about that Challenge League playoff that will come up and you would like to think that that would be taken into consideration uh, and in different parts of the world for a board like Vanuatu and the VCA that that runs off, you know, the, the smell of an oily rag. To have two concurrent tournaments being involved in is going to be a huge task. And yeah, we wish you all the best. That's going to be a very stressful sort of couple of months, three months as, as CEO and as a, a national board as well. So we look forward to it from the outside and hope that it all goes well. I want to go back to run through the performances of every other team, but I think it's a credit to everyone in the region and it's a credit to Indonesia that this tournament was run in time considering the logistical hurdles that were outside of everyone's control at the tournament. There was a cancelled flight uh, preventing Indonesia getting to Port Villa and there was also a transit visa issue for the Indonesian team getting into Australia. It meant that 
Uh, they actually missed the first two days of action, but they were able to sort of make up their games as the tournament went on with a couple of buys that they were able to kind of slip in and play later in the tournament. They got off to a rollicking start and they looked like they were to be a challenger of yourselves and if PNG were to mount a late comeback, but they just sort of faded away a little bit towards the end. I don't know if it was tired having to play six matches in four match days. Uh, they they did have the, the rest days there as well. But in terms of first to, to VCA organizing the tournament and Jamal Vera, your right-hand man who looks like the busiest man on the far table, but there are a number of, number of people around doing uh, some incredible work. Just how tricky was it with not only the factors in Afate or on Afate in terms of the weather and the build-up, but also, yeah, the likes of Indonesia and, and other hurdles uh, that were put in front of you before uh, the tournament even began? Yeah, geez, where, where do I start? But yeah, as you mentioned, Jamal, he, he's just pillar of strength. Um, he's been amazing. He came into the op manager role, not by accident, because he's always very capable, but we had our facilities and leagues manager leave inexplicably um, at the back end of 2021. So Jamal went from being a part-time legal and HR assistant, whilst also finishing his law degree, whilst also working for one of the law firms in town, whilst also playing, to suddenly being a full-time operations manager and me sort of stealing my way from most other things. But this these events, we bring everybody in from all the islands, all of our other... Uh, outreach staff and um, social impact ambassadors and women island cricket ambassadors out there so we had everybody um, and for those that watch any of the stream you know basically anyone that was wearing the red shirts either a full-time employee or we've got a contractor in uh, under 19 men's team were all working as well which was great so at the same time the ICC held a level two coaching course first time the ICC's ever done that before so that was another 10 educators and 20 coaches came in for that so that was all running on the sidelines that was also running at the vcg in the meeting room so we had visa issues as you mentioned um, and that was really our, our fault in that, that we only got the special category visas to indonesia the day that they were flying from bali to australia at the same time they needed to apply for their transit visas which they did but unfortunately in the rush didn't attach the itinerary to the uh to the applications meaning they got pushed back and by the time they got the applications in again they they were going to miss their flight so they postponed a day but unfortunately that extra day meant that they linked up with melbourne and that day the melbourne flight on air vanuatu was cancelled so they were stuck in melbourne for two days but it sounds like the team had a great two-day holiday in melbourne just shopping and getting around there so when they got to vanuatu and after all the matches thankfully they only had two matches that were rescheduled and, and they were basically the only team that could have happened to to mean that they could have their, their matches pushed back into a couple of blank match afternoons as they were. So it was a match against Fiji and a match against Vanuatu. So it meant that they played two double-headed days, I think it was. That was right, because they played had to play six matches in four match days. But it also meant that it put Vanuatu in arguably a not, not the worst position, but it meant that they then had to play a game on the Thursday afternoon, which was against Indonesia. And then the last two games for Vanuatu was Samoa and Japan on the last day. So when it got to the end of the tournament, talking about fitness and whatnot, the fact that Vanuatu had to play three games in more or less a day and a half uh, and then still win was testament to that. But yeah, I think there were two teams like those you mentioned, Indonesia and Japan. Maybe because they had the three weaker teams first up, it didn't really reflect, I think, the, on the, the, the table really what the, the strength of the teams that are out there. And I think this is the first time since 2019 that Indonesia's been in, a, in an East Asia Pacific tournament. But in that time, they'd actually got themselves up to ranked 20th in the world. But I think that was really on the back of their opportunities that they get in the Asian region through the Asian Games and, and other events. Whereas the likes of Vanuatu, for example, hadn't had the opportunity of playing anyone ranked higher apart from PNG to get up the rankings. So I, people have sort of said, oh, Indonesia was surprised that they did so well early on, but they were ranked 20th in the world coming into this event. So I think they pretty much performed as I thought they would. And I thought they might've actually given PNG a little bit of a, a nudge, but we saw that in the last game with PNG scoring 141 against them and Indonesia kind of capitulating there probably at the same time as watching that Vanuatu were looking quite strong against Japan on the field next to them. Then maybe that, that game ended a lot earlier. I know that, that was the one that you were commentating on. But um, I think Japan, like Indonesia, to me, sort of had a good bowling attack, and but only a couple of good batters up, up top, and it kind of fell away quite quickly. I think that was, that was the difference, it seemed to me, between PNG, Vanuatu, 
uh, and everybody else that once you sort of crack through that top order, things fell away quite quickly, whereas the bowling and fielding from most teams was, was a lot better than the, the batting throughout. Andriani for Indonesia was a big loss, roughly two-thirds into the tournament, uh, injured a hand in the field, and yeah, it cost them probably the next game, and then they couldn't mount a challenge against Papua New Guinea. And yeah, it was a weird feeling. I think they leaked 54 runs in the last four overs of PNG's innings, where I think they went from 87 to 141, and just possibly looking over to the other field and seeing that Vanuatu were running away with it and Indonesia fell away as well. They they did show glimpses and there is a lot to be excited about from an Indonesian cricket perspective. Wesker Ratnadewi, I think, collected three player of the match awards, was two from two in the first two games for them and looked like she was about to complete a full set at one point there. The bowling attack looks relatively strong, assuming that Andriani comes back at some point. We know that she's a lot further along in in terms of her playing days. She was one of the first women's cricketers ever in Indonesia, played in a lot of the the men's leagues and has sort of passed her expertise down to the next generation. The the bowling attack is good. There are probably a couple of concerns on the batting side and the way that they get going, especially sort of at the top, maybe a fraction slow. Sakharini could probably go a little bit faster. Wes Karatnadewi will again be a key pillar in what Indonesia do going forward. I want to get to the leadership program probably at the end, but definitely worth bringing up the way that the the points table shook out in the end, where we had obviously Vanuatu winning and PNG second and Indonesia third. There was kind of a, a gulf between, say, the top three teams and the bottom three teams. And then you had Japan awkwardly in the middle, but I would say that Japan are closer to the top three than the bottom three. But it's also worth noting every team at the tournament won a game. So Fiji, Samoa and Cook Islands all won. And talking to Grant Walker, who we need to probably get on the podcast at some point, who's the president of of Cook Islands cricket, an American guy from Boston who now lives in the Cooks, works in the sort of television industry. I think it's for Sky Pacific. And he is one of the great characters in EAP cricket. We, we need to get a chance to get him on. But there were even glimpses for Cook Islands. We saw 14-year-old Sophia Samuels, who Grant actually had to get special consideration to be at the tournament because there's new 15-year-old age limits, I think. And Sophia came in and was one of their better bowlers. And I think when she struck a boundary in one of their matches roughly halfway through the tournament, I think it got one of the biggest cheers outside of, of Vanuatu success. But to kind of run it down from, from top to bottom, we've talked about Indonesia and PNG. Japan, for me, is an interesting one. I thought they were well-led and well-organized in the field. Uh, the bowling is good. They have five legitimately good bowlers and a couple of good options to bowl as your sixth and seventh options. But as we do see a lot in associate cricket and especially on the women's side, just one probably batter short of being a, a good team, Erica Oda. Uh, they were quite reliant on her at the top and she made a couple of big innings early, a couple of uh, 40s to get the tournament going. But didn't really get a lot of help. There were a couple of players at the top order who struggled for runs during important games and came out and showed some flurries, even against Vanuatu, the likes of Iwasaki, Goto, even uh, Kurumi Ota down the order, the left-hander, uh, swung away nicely and built a couple of decent scores. But yeah, starting with Japan, we know that the building blocks are there for something really special. They brought in Erika Toguchi-Quinn and her leg spin, a Melbourne cricket product who played over at the JPL in the weeks leading up to the tournament, qualified for Japan, obviously. Uh, they have a number of players based in Australia as well. So there is room to grow there and it will take probably a couple of years and, and the next pathway event in two years' time will be interesting. But yeah, Tim, a, a word on, on Japan from, uh, I suppose, the perspective of, a, of an opposition team. They were looking to kind of spoil your day on the last day and there were points there where it looked like they might have mounted a, a serious challenge of doing that. In the end, Vanuatu sort of held firm, particularly with the ball. But yeah, it seems like they're a team, I think, still on the up. And we talked about their men's program as well. They're, they're a team that look as if, uh, given you know a couple of pathway events in the future, there is scope there for some huge improvement as well. Yeah, well, I think everybody that I spoke to, and sometimes it was generally unprompted, that Japan actually looked the best drilled fielding side out there in terms of the way they moved the way they backed up the way they were they were in position so it just shows there's been a lot of hard work gone on in the background and I know that 
they're trying to do a lot for the game back there around the the Premier League and you know they've already been in touch with us about trying to line up calendars with the potential of, of some of our players going to play in that I'm sure they would have spoken to other countries as well so they're trying to work hard to to build the game up there and it's good that despite the fact that they do have probably more opportunities than than someone like us to to tap into overseas talent that uh, is of uh, Japanese origin or has moved from Japan at, at a young age um, that they're not just relying on that but they're they're actually trying to build something there so yeah and I, and I think the thing that I noticed looking around their squad I think all but that one player I think is is still in their early 20s so they've got a, a lot of time that they can build together there but yeah I think you sort of you, you named enough names yeah they had that, that leg spin it was interesting seeing Erica Bowl probably so used to playing on turf to how do you how do you adapt to bowling you know, proper leg spin. Well, I guess every leg spin's proper, but um, that would be kind of turning and bouncing and, and you got that natural variation to where, you know, I think players were able to sort of wait on it a lot more um, and, and use the pace and play off the back foot a lot more than you may be able to on turf and still score runs. So, no, I, I, I just... I think that the future is only looking up for, for the Japan team because you can just see how how much they're investing in it. The fact that they've got uh, Dino there coaching as well, that's there for the long haul and, and, and to keep r- running into him in three different tours. But um, that, you know, you can sometimes get a feel for, for where a team's going to go by the kind of support that's going around it. And that's why I think Japan's in a good place. Yeah, again, I, I can't disagree with you there. I think the, the JPL and some of their other domestic structure tournaments look towards a, a real build to the future. And I think another point to note too is that obviously being there commentating but also doing coin tosses and, and post-match interviews, I thought every time I go to these events, I'm always struck by just how powerful it is of people from around the Pacific talking about international cricket. But even when you know the chips are down and, and teams start to lose games, I, I think it's a real testament to a lot of the captains who who make sure they go out of their way to, to stay assertive in the way that they reflect on, on the game and I think all the captains were were great at it, but but someone like Maya Yanagida came a long way in the space of a week. There was a media training uh, portion of the leadership program that we'll talk about uh, a little bit later on. But just seeing her come along in that week was was great. I was talking to to Alan, who was obviously watching from afar, not being in Vanuatu, but yeah, he kind of seconded that. And he was like, you know, if only you know Maya, Maya would chip in a little bit more with with the with the runs and can build on on that side of things, but. Japan were, yeah, just a great team to deal with both on and off the field and uh, excellent operators. And yeah, as you mentioned, everyone I think was really impressed by the way that they go about their business. It was always going to be tough coming into that tournament where you've got those three teams who are probably the more fancied. And they did the best, po- they, they made the best possible start. They won the first three games against, yes, the, the three teams below them on the table, but they were able to mount challenges in, in the games after that, maybe with the exception of that PNG game where they were comprehensively beaten. So I think there's scope there for improvement. Looking at the the bottom three, it gets a little bit murky when we talk about both Samoa and Fiji. So I'll go to the Cook Islands, I suppose, first of all. And I think it was deserved that they managed to pick up a win uh, on the last day against Fiji. I thought they were decent value. There were... Some real glimpses, I thought, at the top of the order. You know, the, the likes of Marua Ricky hitting at the top of the order. It's just the depth that you have of the 11 players on the field and, as an extension to that, the 14 that you do have. The Vanuatus and the PNGs of the world and even Indonesia and Japan, to a, to a degree, have 11 players that can change the game. And this was a big reflection of the golf, but you look at the likes of Samoa and Cook Islands and Fiji, and there's probably only four or five players in those in those teams that can make tangible change in the fixture. Cook Islands with their top three, also several of their bowlers I thought were, were great. I think Zamira Maeva, who was player of the match in the last game of the tournament that they did win, is uh, still in her mid-teens as well. So there is scope, and we know that, again, they get... Some, let's call it for a lack of a better term, an advantage of having being able to tap into some of the the Kiwi player pool and, and the way that the Cooks and New Zealand have their agreements between the two. It, it works in such a way where they, they do get to benefit from that a little bit. But I've got to say in two years' time, I think we'll see the Cooks again as, as another team that will improve 
with the, the New Zealand-based players who will be two years older, who will get the chance to play more cricket in New Zealand, and they will get the chance to actually play together again. You know, this is a team that was built exactly the same as the men's uh, in terms of composition, half Cook Islands-based, half New Zealand-based, and they only really met each other in the Auckland tour in the build-up to the tournament was another thing that the, the men did as well. So if they were to get everyone back in two years' time, you would think that they'd probably mount a, a bigger challenge, Tim? Yeah, I thought it was... Really amazing to know that uh, the captain was 49 years old and they had two 14-year-olds in a team. I'm, I'm not sure I've seen that for a, a long time. And I know when you hear about parents and children playing together, that's maybe in district cricket. And I, I know we may have seen it once or twice before in internationals. But uh, but yeah, and, and to see the maturity shown by the, the two 14-year-olds out there as well, you wouldn't have known that they were they were 14 it wasn't like you had a couple of kids running around with a billowing shirt and you know everyone cheering because you just want the little kid to do well they were very much equals out there so that was good that the ICC saw sense in that respect to to allow them to play because they they do have that 15 year old rule now that you can't play full age or even under 19s if you're under 15 without special application so yeah I think that's the the challenge for Cook Islands is, is what a territory of 9,000 people that live there and then so many more that uh, that ha- have come from there that live throughout New Zealand. So they, they have to try and do the best they can to peruse the diaspora throughout New Zealand and, and beyond to, to try and get them together. So I'm just really happy that A, they had enough teams playing at home to to be eligible for this that that was the first amazing thing that I thought and then to to perform as they did and also as you're talking about the captains to remain calm and focus on everything but when you're losing games by as much as they did early on to still be so positive um I can't say that I I don't know if I'd be as positive going to a tournament and, and losing games as far as they did and still being so happy and smiling I didn't see anyone dropping their heads I didn't see anybody kind of moping around the hotel they were just so happy you could just see so happy and so proud to, to be there and then that showed in the way that they came through in that last game and it also helps when you got this larger than life guy there from America just screaming <laughs> out you know throughout the game as you, as, as your cheer squad and, and I hope that it came through on the stream as well because at times he was close enough to the microphones for it to, to come through but yeah, look, it's going to be a challenge. I think for any small pool um, country like they are and like we are as well, that you know you can have a real quick generation change. But as you said, with the, the ages that they have and the players, it will be better from the experience. I think if, even from watching their first couple of games, I thought, oh, they, they can surprise someone here at this tournament because they had a couple of batters there that could really hit a ball and, and play proper cricket shots that... Um, Look, it'll be interesting to see where they're at in two years' time. Uh, they were coached as well by Tomokunte Ritua, who was part of the men's team. And yeah, he's part of history being out in the middle for uh, Cook Island's victory over Samoa in the men's event last year. He was out the other end where Mara Abe went ballistic and had a chance to talk to him about that. They were a bit walking wounded, but only on the support uh, side of things. He got... He trod on a stonefish at Blue Lagoon on the rest day and then Grant, jumping into Blue Lagoon, managed to give himself a a massive cut to his foot. So thankfully the injuries they kept were off the field and not on them. And yeah, again, I I love watching them going about their business and we saw at the end of the post-tournament function they actually did a a farewell dance as well that Tomokunte sort of emceed and, and the players got some of the other players from the tournament involved looking to Samoa and Fiji and I'll start with Samoa because the Cooks they were able to tap into the New Zealand based players and it seems from the outside that Samoa didn't do the same they went with a group that was largely based in Samoa and reading between the lines and talking to some people it sounds as if there's a little bit of politics involved where they were eligible players for Samoa who put their hand up in New Zealand and they uh, weren't picked and we also know that the likes of Regina Lalee who is a legend I suppose of Pacific cricket and of Samoan cricket in the UK at the moment and, and couldn't get out there for the tournament and seems like they're starting afresh with something new there isn't a whole lot to write home about I will say though that there were positives on the on the batting side of things they did have a lot of players who even coming in down later in the order were able to hit boundaries but I think the one negative to their batting was they weren't able to turn the strike over and they were very much a boundary first looking team. And then when you look to the teams who were successful on Afate, it was a case of looking for one or hitting the bad one. And in the end, Samoa only really looked to do one of those two things. There were some positives on the bowling side. I thought Aloha Awina was good. Left arm Seema, who also batted at the top of the order. 
Sanelli as well, who is uh, a seamer who also batted at number three, probably technically the best player in their team. And then I suppose looking to Fiji, again, uh, it was it's the end of Ruthie Murialo's playing career. She'll sort of take on some roles in cricket Fiji, but you could tell that they were an older team and age and father time didn't help them, especially at the end of the tournament where they looked a little bit worse for wear, a couple of injuries in the squad. Also to Samoa as well, who they had sort of paramedics caught onto the field multiple times during the tournament. They were walking wounded as well. But yeah, looking at these two particular teams, and I've got to say as someone who gets to wear a neutral hat at these events, it's I'm not too sure where cricket is heading in those two respective countries. Kerry Ann Tomlinson, who coached the Samoa women's team, is a great person to have in that spot leading the team. Whether or not she is with them at the Pacific Cup early next year, she might even play for New Zealand Maori. So that might be an awkward conversation that she has to have with someone. But they are somewhat well-led, but it looks as if, as we know, when there's issues in the board and when there's issues in the governing body, it translates to on the field and the way that teams play. And then looking at Fiji, I I just don't really know. And this is a men's thing too. I I don't really know what's next in terms of the next generation. Both squads are very old. And uh, to be honest, Tim, and you might know a little bit more, having been involved in more Pacific discourse and and, and talking to partners in the AAP region, but those two teams are two that I I do fear are are regressing more than sort of building and and moving forward to something bigger and brighter. Yeah, look, I don't don't think I can really add too much more to to what you've said. I think you saw exactly what I saw. And I was really excited coming into this role to have such a strong region despite being so small. You know, we had, you know, pre-COVID PNG ranked 14th in the world, Samoa 15, Indonesia 20, and I think um, Vanuatu, who've got back to 29 now, were 28 um, before the pandemic. And that was you know, Samoa with a blended team of local players and well, overseas-based players. And, and since COVID, and there were reasons for it, I think maybe around the Pacific Cup time when there were still issues traveling around with vaccinations, etc. but that's not an issue anymore. And I, I find it well, disappointing is I don't know if that's the right word, but if you, you want to see teams do as well as they can and to, if there is there are political issues or, or some sort of infighting, it's, you, you can't have that in, in associate cricket. We're too, we're too small. Look at how well all the countries generally get on because I think we're all fighting the same battle. If you, if you see that within a, within a country, and especially with a country that has such great female participation, that I guess you could think, well, maybe there should be players coming through from that amazing um, junior female participation to the, to the senior side, but that's sort of a generational thing that they've got half a squad that's sitting in New Zealand or at least four or five first-class players that are eligible, then we would have been having a very different conversation about this tournament. And yeah, and Fiji as well. I've now seen them play in, in three different events here for the Pacific Cup, back in Fiji for, for the Pacific Island Crit Challenge and, and here. And you know, I think I saw the same thing you saw about uh, you know where, what's going next and, and whether that means a change in sort of high performance management and sort of bringing them forward because there's definitely some talent there but I just haven't seen that sort of develop at all over the, over that time and as always in events like this there's a couple of bowling actions as well that you sort of raise your eyebrow at and I'm, that's and even from a Vanuatu point of view I know there's a couple of bowlers in our arsenal that we're definitely going to have to work on uh, because the last thing you want is them getting pulled after one game in a, in a global qualifier and, and uh, not being able to bowl again but that was definitely on show as well which is always a concern if you want teams to to go to the next level yeah looking forward to the future I think of EAP cricket and a new entrant of sorts at the global qualifier with uh, your Vanuatu women going to that event. And uh, I'm sure Nick will roll through some of the other other qualifiers at that, but I think we're just the Africa qualifier short of a, a full complement there being decided. So for Vanuatu, it's time, uh, time to dare to dream, I suppose. And good luck to everyone at the VCA. I'm sure it'll be an exciting time and yeah, hopefully Rod and, and I comply. Rod was like a proud dad watching at that tournament as well. I think I heard him just as much as I heard, you know, Grant Walker at the Cook Islands cheering on every single uh, Vanuatu player there. And again, just a word on cricket in the Pacific. It's it's just such an enjoyable place to, to be and, and to cover cricket. And to run in conjunction with the leadership program as well was excellent. I think between yourselves and the people there from the ICC, the likes of Rob Gom, Toby Cohen, uh, Emily O'Brien, who's come in to, to do what they've done 
in the space of not very long and to run everything in conjunction with the tournament itself, with the leadership program being tacked on. I think a lot of people deserve a lot of credit. I think a lot of people are doing multiple roles and, you know, you see Jamal running around like a headless chook at times because he's doing three things at once. And someone like Rob, who he must get the most WhatsApp messages than anyone on a Farte in that seven days because almost everything to some level goes through him or Toby. So uh, a word on the leadership program as well, Tim. We know uh, we saw some familiar faces doing the level two coaching course. Asad Vala was there doing his, Norman Vanua, uh, both uh, PNG internationals, Huzaifa Muhammad Akram, who we met in PNG, who plays for the Filipino side, a couple of other guys, Rail Sakurano Thomas, who was there. Uh, another, He's the vice captain of the Japanese uh, men's team doing his coaching level two courses as well that was being run by Catherine Fitzpatrick Julia Price was there Mel Jones did a media day for the captains and senior players of of the sides I'm guessing you have spoken to maybe some of the Vanuatu players who were involved in those programs can you tell us about how they felt they might have sort of developed as as people off the field in 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 those programs that were run in conjunction because it's a pretty powerful thing for this region to have such people of, a, of huge significance to cricket there on hand delivering those programs it it must mean so much to a lot of the players that were, were there at the tournament yeah and it started from before the event with some female health briefings uh, that came before the technical meetings as you said sort of athlete development and leadership and I know that uh, Selena for example came out of that again with another sort of mindset growth situation where she had a, a big band around her arm with uh, messages to herself about main, maintaining a sort of uh, calmness in situations and then also as you said to have Mel Jones there and this is all on the back of the support from Pacific Oz Sports again the same pot of funding that brought the Australian Indigenous teams there and, and also gives so much to Cricket PNG as well to support their top end games and um, coaching development and, and whatnot too so that wouldn't have happened without Australian government money again but I think it was a, a great idea by the ICC to tie it all together the hard thing is I, I think that there's so much going on at events like this that you want to try and make sure you're not trying to put players through too much it's already stressful enough when you're playing six T20 internationals in eight or nine days you know something that you'd never see a full member country going through but also plugging them in like the matrix to this uh, to all these development courses where you kind of just you, you hope they're able to kind of suck it all up at, at the same time as playing for their country. But be that as it may, that's the situation we have. And to have seven squads of 14 players plus the officials there, it's a great opportunity to get to as many people as possible. So I think it was a success. It was, a, again, a real big game of Tetris in the background, as I mentioned, with the flights and, in, and visas of Indonesia getting in. Well, you know, Japan had a flight cancelled. and We overbooked the Holiday Inn, so we had to send the uh, play cont um, control team, the umpires and uh, match referee, over to Iririki Island Resort, which I think some of the umpires liked that separation yeah. but that meant that we had to kick the umpires out and the Vanuatu team as long as well as uh, their coach manager and uh, CEO I believe were all in a wing that had no air conditioning so it was uh, fans only I think that Rob Gom also got shunted into one of those rooms too so we could have everybody together in the same hotel I think all except two of them the uh, master educators who were in a, a couple of apartments just at the end of the driveway from the Holiday Inn so it was a lot happy in the background but I guess that's should be irrelevant to participants. They should just see the smiling faces and the and the very calm duck on the top of the water. Just don't look underneath <laughs> to see these uh, these little legs going going really really fast trying to get things done. Which you know is what you're supposed to see. You know we don't need to see the sausage factory. You just need to enjoy what comes what comes out in the end. But um, yeah, I think it was great for all the participants. Um, but just really proud of our team that we're able to pull it all together. You know to have side-by-side side, six camera stream more or less go off without a hitch there was one time that one individual may have been me or it may have been a regional development manager may have accidentally kicked out a power cord that took the entire stream down it was definitely rob it wasn't me but um that, that you know apart from that i think like one or two little glitches with the internet like i mean small small um but beyond on that 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 
that went really well and to have those two games going to have a coaching course happening at the same time to be managing everything the catering and the buses and everything to get people back backwards and forwards I'm hoping and from people have said that everyone had a great time there and as well it helps when the sun's out in Vanuatu but to, to pull that off is a no mean feat for as you say you know we're not we're not a huge associate member we, we are lucky in that we probably have more employees than a lot in the region but again we had to pull in help from a lot of places um, within the cricketing community and, and beyond but to get that all all completed was uh, a, a big tick for us I think and as we look into 2024 and beyond we're just hoping to get some positive news news soon about about the possibility of, of hosting more events yeah looking forward to it and as someone who's been to two events there now everything has run incredibly well and you come back with such a buzz only to log into a day job on the monday morning and you have that post-tournament blues i can't say i had that after png i think because i was more just relieved to to get home after what was a, a frantic week but yeah to, to come back and and reflect on the week that was i know that everyone there who was visiting from abroad to vanuatu really enjoyed their time and i think it's it's a credit to to you and your team tim and hopefully yeah bigger and and better things in in the form of more regional events being hosted there you know who knows maybe in the future the likes of having the the regional final on the men's side for t20 world cup qualification would be extremely cool as well seeing again that next level of international play uh yeah i don't think this is the last we'll hear from everyone in the aap region at least for the next little bit there's plenty of scope for us to to keep chatting eap cricket and uh for everyone who's stuck with us for the length of time talking cricket once again thank you for uh tuning into the eap portion of the pod but uh on behalf of myself and and tim thanks for tuning in and good luck to vanuatu at the uh, global yes, thanks qualifier. again for tuning into the emerging cricket podcast and as bez alluded to earlier we have seen qualifiers run around the world for women's cricket, uh, all four other regions. So we'll just start in Africa, where Division 2 ran, with Botswana hosting seven other teams between the 2nd and 8th of September. The hosts did eventually get over the line and qualify, but uh, the real story was Kenya, who went through undefeated and really thumped all comers. Uh, in the first match against Botswana on the first day, they won by 111 runs with Quintor Abel putting in an outstanding solo performance with 71 runs and 4 for 7 in 4 overs with the ball. Quintor Abel also became the first woman to hit a T20i century for Kenya later on in the tournament against Lesotho. Uh, Botswana in their other two group matches beat Lesotho and then were pushed to the very end by Malawi, uh, winning by only 5 runs, but they did scrape into the semi-final uh, and that was, of course, in Group a, across in Group B, Sierra Leone and Cameroon made the playoffs. Uh, Sierra Leone were pretty convincing winners in all three of their group matches. Uh, Cameroon showing an impressive uh, improvement in recent times in, in women's cricket. Won very convincingly against uh, Eswatini and Mozambique. Madeleine Sisako, the star of the show for them with the bat. But then in the semifinals, Cameroon ran into Kenya and were steamrolled by over 100 runs. Uh, Botswana beat Sierra Leone. Botswana beat Sierra Leone by 17 runs, so that sewed up qualification for them. Kenya and Botswana, the two qualifiers, uh, played off in the final, where Kenya won convincingly again by nine wickets inside nine overs. So that rounds out the eight teams to be playing the Division One tournament, which is going to be hosted in December in Uganda. Namibia, Nigeria, Rwanda, Tanzania, Uganda, Zimbabwe, Botswana and Kenya. So looking forward to that one. Moving across to the Asia region, where Malaysia hosted an 11-team tournament between the 31st of August and the 9th of September. Two teams made it out of that event, Thailand and the UAE, so possibly not too many surprises. Uh, UAE and Nepal jointly topped Group A after the clash between them was washed out by rain. And that meant both of them advanced to the semifinals. Meanwhile, Thailand and Hong Kong were the two to come through from Group B. Thailand did beat Hong Kong pretty comprehensively in their matchup in that group. The Thais were able to repeat the dose in the semifinal against Nepal, where they posted 105 for two in their 20 overs and bundled out Nepal for 59. Meanwhile, the UAE thrashed Hong Kong, posting 141 for four and then bowling them out for 84 in the 17th over, leaving the final which, as in a lot of these, is a ceremonial event um, with the two 
qualifying teams playing off. The UAE pulled off a little bit of a surprise, although maybe somewhat to be expected given uh, the rise of their women's team in recent times. Uh, They were restricted to 70 for nine in their 20 overs, but they defended it. They won by six runs, bowling out Thailand for 64 inside 18 overs. So maybe some questions for Thailand going forward, but uh, an impressive performance from the UAE. Vaishnave Mahesh and Kavisha Egadage both chipping in with three wickets there. Across in the Americas qualifier, and this is one that we're hoping to get Nate Hayes on for a bit more detail, but uh, the headline being that the hosts USA progressed pretty comfortably being unbeaten throughout the whole tournament as they defeated the other three teams, Argentina, Brazil and Canada, twice in a double round robin between the 4th and 11th of September. That tournament, of course, hosted in Los Angeles at Woodley Park. So the USA will be going back to the global qualifier. Of the other teams involved, Canada put in an improved performance compared to the previous women's qualifier, which was hosted in Mexico in 2021. And yeah, Canada lost both their matches against Brazil. Here, the Brazilians did seem to struggle a bit. They only beat uh, Argentina twice and they didn't really look like they were in the game against the US or Canada in either of their performances and just on Brazil it's also worth mentioning that this was the last tournament for Roberta Moretti Avery who's been a great servant of Brazilian cricket for a number of years and she announced her retirement after the event although she says that she will be involved in Brazilian cricket going forward uh, in probably an administrative capacity so that leaves only the European qualifiers, which were run between the 6th and the 12th of September, hosted in La Manga in Spain, although Spain didn't participate. Uh, it was France, Italy, Netherlands and Scotland. And there was a bit of an upset early with Scotland defeated by the Netherlands pretty comfortably, actually, with uh, Stere Callis leading the Dutch to 134 for 7 in their 20 overs before Fabian Molkenburg took 3 for 11 to help bowl out the Scots for 99, although Scotland did win the reverse encounter in the double round robin by 59 runs later on in the tournament with uh, Sarah Bryce taking them to 122 and then Darcy Carter taking 3 wickets to bowl out the Dutch for 63. So with points shared between Scotland and the Netherlands in their encounters, they both defeated Italy and France twice, so they both advanced to the global qualifier. Uh, Italy playing in their first regional qualifier on the women's side things put in an impressive show beating France twice Uh, so a lot of questions for the French team which has seen a lot of turnover recently so that leaves us with just Africa uh, and and two slots uh, from that African region to be decided so far the teams at the global qualifiers that are confirmed will be Ireland, Sri Lanka, Thailand, UAE, Vanuatu, United States, Netherlands and Scotland. So congratulations to all the teams that have already qualified. And remember to keep an eye on the Africa Qualifier, which happens between the 7th and 18th of December this year. Once again, thanks for listening. And that's it from us at the Emerging Cricket Podcast. Bye for now.